You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast 255. I am Tim Robertson. There's David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's been a crazy week, so I'm a bit tired, but uh, happy to be talking to you. Same here. Absolutely. It's been uh, a slow week as far as tech for me because I've been busy. Uh, so yeah, we literally have zero preparation for this episode. <laughs> Nothing new, Shh, right? You're not supposed to say that. Usually we have a few things in our show notes, and it's literally a blank page. Oh, it is, yeah. I, I've i barely had time to even like um, follow my regular news feeds this week. It's been absolutely crazy for me. Um, so it's hard to know what's going on. Well, the Google I.O. event was probably the biggest thing of the week. And, you know, there, there's some pretty cool things that I'm seeing that Google's doing, but like Apple and like Microsoft, it's evolutionary and not revolutionary. And I, that's not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. Um, we can only handle so many revolutions in technology. But it does kind of well, yeah. start feeling like it's been nothing but evolution for quite a while now. I mean, this personally for me, the last product, tech anyways, that came out that made me go, oh, man, that's awesome. I, I, I really want one of those. That's going to change things. Was probably the iPad. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Surface. Um, not necessarily for me, but I can see where it was going. Um I've, I actually, I was talking to Owen Rubin yesterday on the phone for about an hour, mm -hmm. maybe a little less. And by the way, he, he, he'd like to come back on the show for a visit. I said next week would be good. Sure. Um, yeah. and he was talking about the surface, how impressed he really is with that surface. So I think he'll want to talk about that next week. Yeah. It's, I, I've seen that. I, in fact, I was, I had a meeting yesterday and the, the lady I was seeing, she was using a surface as a regular computer. Um, and, and you know, as you, as you know, I've had, I've had a couple of them in the past. So, um, yeah, they're a, they're a nice product, but you know, to me, they sit in one. We, I won't talk too much about it now. We're going to talk to Owen about it next week, but me, for me, they sit in one particular place. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure how much they break out of that really. Well, did you follow anything about the Google I.O. event? Did you read up on it at all? Well, yeah, you know, I, I saw a couple of the headlines, but the problem is is that, uh, you, you know, you say about evolutionary, everything seemed to be Google's version of what other people are doing. Yeah, it was, exactly. was kind of my impression. Oh, look, they've, <coughs> excuse me, they've got their own VR platform. Oh, look, they've got their own, you know, Amazon Echo type speaker thing. Yep. Uh, oh, look, they've got got a couple of new messaging apps just like facebook do and you know, oh look they've got something that's like facetime it it, it all it all seemed to be you know um and the, they revised the, the yeah they revised their android watches to uh, now they've got some uh, uh apple watch features it all seems to be like them just catching up with everyone else well that's kind of what google's been doing for a long time isn't it they'll they'll come out yeah. well them and apple to be honest they'll come out with something and then Apple will kind of incorporate those features, add new features, and then Google will start incorporating those things. It's a back and forth at this point. It really is. Yeah, but you know what? The problem I find with Google is that they throw so much stuff at the wall and then see what sticks, and then that's the stuff that they invest in. Sometimes I wish they would be a bit more focused. You know, I will say this. I, I, let me Before you get to the Chromebooks, I yeah. will say this. Everything that they kind of featured... In this I.O. event, none of it was pie-in-the-sky stuff like they're kind of famous for doing. And it was yeah. all focused on their core competencies, which really is search. It's it's assisted devices, which, you know, at the end of the day, rely on search. And I, I at least, not all of them, I mean, you know, the VR stuff really isn't, but they are kind of focusing on their core competencies. And I think for Google to be successful and to move these technology categories forward and thus be a good competitor to Amazon and Apple and Microsoft, I think they have to focus on those core competencies, make them better, make the technologies better, more flawless, just working, instead of the pie-in-the-sky stuff, 
which really doesn't move the needle at all. So I give it up to Google that this... Look, I didn't watch it live. I watched highlights and I read a lot of articles. It really does feel like they kind of circle the wagons just a little bit and go, what are we good at? Well, let's concentrate on that moving forward for a while before we really start doing the pie in the sky stuff. Because I don't... Somebody could say, well, yeah, the VR stuff, that's kind of pie in the sky. No, it's not. VR is is within a year is going to be everywhere other than Apple. Everyone's going to have something right. So yeah, that's not really pie in the sky, but the, you know, the, their, their Amazon echo thing, that's, it's just voice recognition, which quite frankly is their voice recognition and search results are much better than Siri. We have to wait and see if it's better than Amazon's. But Amazon's yeah. is already better than Siri as well, at least in the home, mm-hmm. not mobile, of course. So, but again, that is back end driven through their search, and nobody beats Google in search. I mean, they are the kings mm-hmm. of search, no question. And because they're the kings of search, contextual searches and uh, assisted, if they can roll that integration into products like this, They've got a huge leg up on everybody else. So you're going to talk yeah, about the Chromebooks. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, to me, the Chromebooks. I, I know they've just they've just announced that they're bringing Android apps into Chromebooks, but to me, Chrome, the Chrome OS itself just seems to be, you know, not really moving forward very much. And um, even the, the kind of the drive for new devices seems to be drying up a little bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, they were, they were the really hot thing a couple of years ago, and now they kind of seem to be falling by the wayside a little bit. O- Just because, in, again, as a platform, I'm not well, sure that Google isn't spending that much time on it. Well, I, I would agree with you when it, came to, when it comes to Chromebooks for the consumer market. But I think what Google has found out, simply by sales, is Chromebook is less of a consumer product and more of a... Uh, educational and possibly business product. That's where it really shines, where you don't need to have your personal information on the device itself. It's connected. And there's two places that you can really count on them being always being connected work and school. And that's where they shine. I mean, I have a, I have a client who's just basically gone to Google apps and have started using Chromebooks for their, um, for their, you know, their laptop PC roller, and everyone's really, really happy with them. They really like them. Yeah, because you your know? stuff isn't on that computer. If that computer dies, you just grab another one off the cart, sign in, and you're right where you left off. And not only that as well, it just means that all the kind of the IT overhead that you have on the laptop just isn't there. Exactly. Uh, and the and, price. And they really, yeah, and well, yeah, they're, they're buying higher-end ones. But yes, even a high-end Chromebook is typically cheaper than a, you know, than a good Windows laptop. Um, the kind of an enterprise class Windows laptop, you know, like a ThinkPad or something. But again, I, I think I think App, I think Chrome needs to Google needs to push that a little bit more. You know, Chrome OS is great. I really like it. I love my Chromebook Pixel. I was using it just today, actually. Um, but there are some frustrations about it. One of the big things is that the word processing software you get with Google Docs is not quite. I mean, it's okay for a lot of business stuff, but it's not quite there for everything. And I, I wish that Google would spend some time, would spend more time kind of bringing more software to the platform rather than, I mean, you know, it's great they're bringing Android apps in and apparently they've done a really good job integrating Android into Chromebooks. But the problem is, is that the Android app store is great for games. It's not so great for the sort of stuff that productivity people need. At the moment. But when you start no. rolling in the ability for Android developers which most of them are cross-platform between Android and iOS, at least the big ones, and especially the productivity ones. When you start rolling that into the fact that if you develop for Android, it will also run on Chrome OS, and maybe you can tweak a, a universal build, which will do one thing on pure Android, but it will do something else, maybe bigger screen, uh, better menus, that sort of thing on He's, Chrome. But the- the problem is we've seen this with the Android market before, though. Remember that, I mean, even today, you go and buy an Android tablet 
and then you go to the uh, Android store and you'll find most of the apps in there aren't configured for a tablet. They Except just throw themselves here, here's, onto the Here's where that your argument falls apart, David. There's already uh, over 100 million Chromebooks in existence in schools and business, and not to mention home. So there's already a built-in user base where there absolutely wasn't with the Android tablets, and it never uh, really took off. That's I, that's that's a fairly that's a, a fairly good argument. I I agree with you. I my concern is that Android um, developers are lazy. <laughs> well, my and, concern and just, is and, uh, is that Google won't push Android on Chromebooks. Oh well, they're, they're, nearly I as hard as they have to. Agree. Yeah, they have to. They have to be out there evangelizing. They have to be, you know, really incentivizing their developers to do this. Um, if you if you want a lesson in what happens if you don't incentivize your developers to develop for your platform, just look at what's happened over on Windows with these Windows Universal apps. I mean, Microsoft has put all the tools out there, and the you know there's the built-in market, and there's all all the, right from Windows 8, these devices have been capable of running these apps, and nobody's been making them. So yeah, Google absolutely needs to get out in front of this, and I hope they do. But you know, as I say, sometimes I just worry that they kind of make it and then hope people will come. Well, I think um, a lot of that is leadership. Yeah. And we've all heard, at least us in the tech press, have all heard the war stories between Chrome OS and Android OS. Those divisions don't get along. Yeah. They really should be one division at this point. It Absolutely. really, really should be. And eventually... Quite honestly, it shouldn't be a Chromebook. It should just be Android running all of those platforms. Yeah. In that, when you open up a Chromebook, it's just powered by Android. Yeah. There's I, no difference. Now, so, now, here's an interesting thing from a productivity point of view. By getting fully working Android apps on a Chromebook, does that mean you can run the um, the relatively good Android version of Microsoft Office? I would imagine so. Um, but he, but here's, here's now that I, I can immediately at this point hear Microsoft make a very sharp intake of breath. <laughs> well, no, I don't think so because I think Microsoft has realized a while back that they can't rely. In fact, they've said this: they can't rely on a one OS platform to run their productivity software. That's I why agree. they're they're staying up to yeah. date with the Mac, the Android. It, but, it, it, as long as someone's but, yeah. using their product and paying for it, I don't think. Eventually, and eventually being very soon, to be honest, Microsoft yeah. cares what you're, what box you're using it on. Would they prefer a Surface? Absolutely, they'll make more money. But at the end of the day, as long as you're using Office, that's all they're going to care about. You know what? I'd agree with you, except that it's been very easy for them to say that when the um, alternate devices that aren't Windows are tablets and um, phones and uh and things like that i think i think when all of a sudden you can take um you can take the the mobile version of the app yeah and run it on something that directly competes with a windows laptop computer i think that people there i don't think nadella will will be worried about it. i think his attitude is exactly what you just said but i think other people inside microsoft will go hang on a minute, if we're not careful, this could basically kill the entire Windows division. And I think those a lot of those people in Windows have very long memories. Yeah, I agree and, with you. and perhaps perhaps I'm not on as on as board with this, well it's just all about the services services stupid. Yep. Which is which is very much where Nadella comes from and I think he'd be perfectly fine with that. But I think and this will be I a think test of his leadership. Yeah, I think you could see civil war inside Microsoft if that comes to pass. If this uh, if this thing really takes off, but at this point, Windows admit, I'm, I'm, isn't in trouble at all, dude. It, it it's Windows Ten is actually doing quite well for Microsoft. Oh, it's yeah, it's doing well. But the problem is, is that it, Windows isn't in trouble, but the PC market is. Yep, and, and that's why is, no, and that's why Windows is is doing well because it's not just a PC product platform anymore. Well, yeah, the, look, but the issue is that Windows wants to, they still, the, the strategy that Ballmer came up with, which was the Windows 8 strategy, which is, you know, kind of merge tablet and um, tablet and, and desktop together, is still something that Microsoft deep down wants to try and achieve. That's why they're pushing this, you know, universal Windows platform, this idea that you can build an app that will run on any device, whether it be a, a Windows tablet or a Windows PC or whatever. The problem is they have 
so far really failed to do that and allowing android to run on a, a laptop style device is another knife into that concept because all of, again you're still going to have developers going well you know what, i can just develop for android and um then i can have my app run on on all these laptop computers and potentially all these desktop computers and everything or i could have it run on windows and um the problem is is that people aren't developing these universal windows apps that microsoft wants people to have and i i i, I can just see that it would not surprise me if if Parts of Microsoft's response to if Android apps on Chromebooks come along is all of a sudden saying we've got to make it more difficult for Office to run on Chromebooks, and all of a sudden you find it will work on a tablet, but it won't work on a Chromebook. I I agree with you. Here's the other potential problem with Android on Chromebook. Do you download that app to that particular machine? Now, most of the apps are not large, so even the 64 gigabyte Chromebooks is going to have no problem. Yeah. But when you start installing Android apps on your Chromebook, you lose that ability to, oh, this Chromebook just died. I'll just pull another one off the car, open it up, sign in, and I'm good to go. Well, you won't be good to go. Yeah, it depends. I mean, if those apps, you know, save everything up in the cloud, in your Google Cloud, then, then fine, you can still do that. It would be just like... You know, when you switch iPads and you Well, that's my question. The Do these apps run yeah. locally? Because that's the only way you're going to get decent performance out of a lot of these apps. Apparently they do. It's not an emulation layer. They're actually running fully native on the laptop. Right, but are they downloaded to the laptop is my question. Yeah, I think, I think they are. Right, so if your Chromebook goes down, one of the big benefits right now is if it goes down, so what? Everything's in the cloud. Yeah. You just open up another one, sign in, and you pick up right where you left off. Well, under Android on Chrome, all of those apps are thus going to have to start downloading again. Yeah. And and so instead of, look, that's still better than a Mac or a Windows where if it goes down, you've got to do a whole restore, you know, put a new yeah. hard drive in. You can't just go buy another Mac and open it up and it's right where you left off. It, it's hours right. and hours and hours. Whereas with Chrome, you literally, for, for the people who have never used Chrome, nothing is stored locally. Okay, so oh, everything very you little. very yeah. little. Yeah. <clears throat> so everything you do when you sign in, a you have to have internet connection. B when you sign in, it's just signing into your account. So everything on there is just up in the clouds. Well, so, no, so, I mean that it doesn't. It's not quite like that. It, it does download stuff locally, but they're all tiny little packages, right? So, so it for doesn't instance, take much I, time I, at I all. I run. If I run Chrome on my, uh, we run Chrome as our corporate um, browser on in our Windows machines. So if I install actual apps, kind of web apps from the Chrome store into Chrome on my on my Windows computer, those are actually downloading packages to my not very big packages, but packages to my Windows laptop uh, running on the Chrome browser. Now, when I then log into that same account on my Chromebook, like I did today, that I'd not used for about four or five weeks, all of those packages appeared there. Yeah, and if I do a clean, clean like it's called a power wash on my Chromebook and completely reset it and then log in again, exactly that thing happens again. But the thing is, this, the packages are so small, it takes it takes moments. Right, and, and so, so my question yeah. is, with Android, if you've got a fairly large number of apps that you've installed on your Chromebook, that will slow things down. That'll take a little bit of the benefit of the just get up and go aspect of, of Chrome. Yeah. But you know what? The benefits, I think, are so much greater in the long run for Google if they unify these OSs and you can just use whatever app wherever. Yeah. That, that, that just makes way more sense to me. And, again, it's going back to their core competencies. And I think, look, let's let's not kid ourselves. Android is by far the most popular mobile platform out there. Yeah, but that it that doesn't, <laughs> you know, there's more cockroaches than human doesn't make them a, a higher life form, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's not to say that Androids, <laughs> Android devices are cockroaches, but but yes, you're you're right. They have they have market share. They're not, and certainly, you know, Apple has all the profits in the computing industry at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, and you know the the there's all that jo- old joke, isn't it? Oh, we'll give away for free and make it up in volume, uh, and that's kind of what Google does, is that they make very little on those devices, 
Um, and uh, Google in particular doesn't really make anything on the device. They give it all away for free, but they're, they're looking to get the service platform out there, and, and that's that's their thing. I think the, of everything that they kind of focused on, the one that I don't think is going to take off for them is going to be their daydream, which is Google's VR platform. I think that'll be the one that fails because it's coming yeah. out of the gate late. Um, there's just there's only so many dollars that people can spend. Yeah, and let's be honest. Facebook with with the Oculus is just so far ahead in the consciousness of people. I think the only company that really could challenge that, and let's be honest, it really hasn't been released yet. The only company that could really compete for mindset would be Apple, an Apple VR headset. Uh, I think I, people you know would be what? excited. I, I heard I was listening to Leo report this afternoon on my way home from work, and he just tried the Sony one, the PlayStation one, and he said it's amazing. And 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 I think actually that's that could be the big one because but that's the gaming is, only. And I think well, yeah, VR it, is going to be a lot bigger than just gaming. Gaming I, is, is the easy thing to to focus I know, on initially. But, but I think I think I think gaming is is kind of the gateway into it. It's like the uh, it's the first step. I think the problem is it's very difficult to convince people to go out and spend money on headsets and software and bits and pieces and put it all on so that you can do a you know a virtual Skype call or something like that. I think it's a really tough sell, whereas everybody's comfortable with dropping a couple of hundred dollars on something for a game. And I think once people get you know try it and they you know they play games that give you a really rich experience, then people are going to say, "All right, I'd be more interested in doing something else with this with this technology." And the other thing as well is that is that the the adult consumers tomorrow are the gamers of today. So if you're looking at a long play, yeah, if you get if you get kids today who want to play games in VR. Yeah, then those are the people who are going to be buying VR platforms for the rest of their lives. So you know, it's a, it's a longer play, really. But I agree with you. I think I think the problem is is that I don't I don't see except for people looking for a really cheap solution. I don't see people um, you going for mobile VR as a preference over the better experience you're going to get with these other platforms. Exactly. Problem problem what Oculus Rift and Vive have is it's just too expensive you you know you're looking at two and a half thousand dollar investment to get that working and normally with the particularly with the um with the vive you know also a lot of space you know most of us don't have space in, in our house that's just waiting for us to install the holodeck so um you know vive is going to struggle with that rift as well you know if you're looking at a big pieces are awkward to set up complicated to set up i bet the rift is going to be even more complicated the advantage playstation is going to have is you just plug it in and get on with it yep yep and it and let's be honest when it comes to video games home consoles yeah you might be able to have a guy sitting next to you playing a racing game or a fighting game or something but for the most part it's a solo experience yeah so you don't really lose any interactions no, no. with people I mean, around if, you if, if i'm set if i'm sat playing a game and my son comes in, he sits down and watches what I'm doing on the TV. Mm-hmm. It's very rare do we, yeah, do, would we play against each other in the house? If we normally people who want to play against each other do it on multiple consoles, and they're normally in different spaces, like different places. Um, and I presume with the Sony one that uh, you can see on the TV what's going on on the headset yeah, if you, you want to watch it. Yeah. You know, so no big deal. You've got the same, you've got the same advantages there. Let's take a quick break, and uh, Dave and I will be right back. Hi, I'm Bart Bouchot, host of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. Each month, I gather together a panel of photographers, and we chat about a theme related to the art and craft of photography. It's not about the gear. It's about making better photos, regardless of your camera. Listen and subscribe at www.letstalk.ie. Back here on Tech Fan Podcast number 255, I'm Tim Robertson, he's David Cohen, and this episode is sponsored by OWC, which can be found at MacSales.com. We want to thank them for their sponsorship. David, you were actually talking about, look, OWC sells used Macs, and um, for a lot of people, including us, Sometimes it makes a lot more sense, especially when you figure you can't upgrade a lot of these new Macs, soldered on RAM and stuff like that, to pick up a used Mac instead of a, a or instead of picking up a new Mac, you pick up an older Mac and you can upgrade yeah. it, or you can buy one that's already upgraded. And you were talking about 
when you're going to be here this summer for Mac Stock Expo, possibly picking up a used Mac at that time. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe, um, you know, I've got, I've got my, uh, I've got my MacBook that I use uh, for doing this show uh, when I'm not on the, uh, when I'm not on the iMac here. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great value machine, but uh, can't deny that those plastic MacBooks are kind of big and heavy. Um, and I always liked the MacBook Air. I gave my uh, 11-inch Air to my son for his birthday last year, so um, I have been thinking about getting another macbook air but i don't want to buy a new one because you know the macbook air has kind of got a bit of a question mark over it in the moment about whether it's going to continue whether it's going to be upgraded it's not getting much apple love at the moment so a used one makes more sense to me and you know i noticed that they're pretty reasonably priced on the on maxhouse.com and i thought i could get an entry level one you know one with a 64 gig ssd uh, and then buy one of um, one of OWC's upgrade kits and actually put a faster one in there, a bigger one. Uh, and I would not be out more than about five hundred dollars, which I thought was pretty reasonable for a thirteen-inch MacBook Air. Yeah, and a lot easier yeah. portable-wise, anyways, to to lug that. Well, this around. is it. You know, I, I'm I I do miss not having a Mac with me when I'm traveling for work, and I'm going to be traveling at work to london for work pretty much every week for the next year it looks like at the moment so um it would be nice to have a mac with me for uh, for using when i'm not working and uh i'm not going to be taking the macbook with me because it's far too big and heavy for that so macbook air would fit me down to the ground you know i just remembered i've got an air sitting here that's dead i yeah? forget what's wrong with it something is wrong with it it doesn't boot or it everything just kind of fell apart on this machine it's the um uh... Oh, this is no. This is Julie's thirteen-inch uh, MacBook Air, uh, second, mm-hmm. second or first generation. I forget. Um, it won't get online. I had to uh, pick up a USB to Wi-Fi adapter for it. Right. And uh, it just finally just completely died. I'm not sure what's wrong with it. I keep meaning to maybe poke around with it, but I'll probably just get rid of it, sell it to somebody, let them poke around with it. But for a while. I had a uh, 11 inch MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked remember. it. Yeah, I, I like yeah. those, but it was just too small for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I gave to my to my boy, and he loves it. It's right for him. Yep. But if I was going to get one, yeah, I would get a 13 because I appreciate the biggest screen space nowadays. And so you can pick one of those up. You could get an, an i5 1.7 gigahertz Thunderbolt with USB 3 for 459. Yeah. At OWC, that's a mid. 2012. Actually, you don't need the uh, new Aura SSD upgrade because that's an older one. Yeah. So you can just get a regular SSD for that. Yeah, I, I think I think that would be quite quite a nice machine for me. Yep. Actually, that's got the uh, the SSD flash ROM in it. But mm-hmm. yes, you can upgrade that machine, the hard drive, anyways. Uh, not much you could do with the RAM, I don't believe. No, but four gig of RAM for a machine that you know. It's not my it's not my daily driver. It's just a, a a machine for kind of messing around on and doing bits and pieces on. We'll be fine. And we want to thank OWC once again for sponsoring TechFan. Make sure you check them out at maxsales.com. And if you're interested in the machine that David and I are talking about, um, Apple 13-inch MacBook Air, 1.7 gigahertz core i5 processor. Uh, I will put a link directly to this in the show notes, and uh, you can go and pick one up yourself. And if it's the last one, leave it for yeah, me. Yeah, if, if, if stock is one, don't buy it, please. Or at least email David or hit him up on Twitter. Ask him yeah. if he's already picked his up because if he hasn't, then yeah. don't buy it. Actually, they, if you want to buy it for me, then go right ahead. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. There's no question that that would be appreciated. Uh, and you could deliver it to him if you come to MacStock. David and I will both be at MacStock. Yeah. It's a two-day affair. It's July 16th and 17th in Woodstock, Illinois. Um, if you go to uh, MacStockConferenceAndExpo.com, or if that's too long to remember, we have a link to it at MyMac.com. Uh, you can register. It's not expensive. Uh, two days plus the Mac barbecue is only 149 bucks. We do have a discount code, though. If you subscribe to our weekly newsletter... If you go to MyMac.com, up in the menu bar, it says Newsletter. Click that, enter your email address. You will get a once-a-week email, and it will have a $25 code that you could use. So instead of $150, bucks, it's going to be $125. Bucks. So that's much better. So 
Come to Mac Stock 2016. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be there. David will be there. Uh, Guy Searle from the MyMac Podcast will be there. Unfortunately, Gaz can't make it this year. Um, John Nemo is going to be there. That'll be yes, cool. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of people. I just did a video podcast um, just this last week and with uh, Chuck Joyner uh-huh. for Mac Voices. It was me. Uh, he didn't let the other people know who was going to be on. So it ended up being me, Guy Searle, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Robert Carter from uh, the Tech Doctor blog and podcast. It was it was a lot of fun, cool. and that's that'll go live next week, and I will put a link to it um, on our Twitter page, on our Facebook page, on the Tech Fam Podcast Twitter page or Facebook page. I'll actually embed the video there too. So check that out. It was a lot of fun. You know, the video was done here in my office, so. You get to see my arcades, a couple of them behind me. And uh, we started talking about a little bit of old tech. One of the neat things was we were talking about iPads. And I pulled the three iPads I have right off the shelf. They're all plugged in. They had all been charged up. Yeah. As they always are. And it was it was kind of neat. It was fun. So, David. Any, uh, well, I, I, I think I've got something that's kind of cool. Okay. You know, I have my arcades, mm-hmm. and the Super Pac-Man, if you remember a year ago, I picked that up for 50 bucks, and it wasn't That's working. <laughs> it wasn't working, but I got it working within an hour of getting it home. Yeah. You've, you've got experience inside these things now. I do. But here's the problem. The monitor in it was just bad. It it needs a complete rebuild on the monitor. They um, the monitors often didn't last that long in those old machines. No, uh, and let's face it, nobody ever, nobody when they were designing machines ever thought that thirty years later people might still no, use God them. no, God no. <laughs> so was, that was my dilemma. Okay, the monitor died. What do I do now? I can go get another arcade monitor, but it's going to cost me a decent one's going to cost me at least a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, and you've no guarantee how long that's going to last either. But I still new, that won't be a new one, would it? That will be no, a, you could still buy. There's there's people who sell brand new ones or at really? least completely refurbished, so it's just like All it's right. brand new, providing there's no screen burn in. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the thing: it's it's Super Pac Man. It's not my favorite game in the world. It wouldn't even rank, to be honest, in the top fifty. Most people haven't probably ever played. Probably it. have never played it. Yeah, but you know, I built these little mini arcades and what i used with those was these multi-game boards mm-hmm. so i thought why don't i hook up I'll, I'll leave all the original stuff in there don't get me wrong in, in the super yeah. pac-man but i'll bypass the board and put in the 60 and one board and then i've got 60 different games i can play on there which i did and it yeah. worked with what, the old what, con- mon- what controls do you have on super pac-man is it just a four-way stick Four-way stick, and there's one button that's uh, for Super Pack. It makes him go faster in the bonus stage. Right. So you would a lot of the go, those those other games you'd struggle with the controls, would you? No, not necessarily. There's a few that are eight-way joysticks, like 1942. So it it struggles a little bit with a four-way joystick. But all the games that I really want to play only need one button and a four-way joystick. Right. Uh, okay. The Donkey Kong games, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Burger Time. Basically, all my favorite games require yeah. a four-way joystick. And because this is a true four-way joystick leaf switch, unlike the micro-switch joysticks in my other arcades, it's actually better. Yeah. It's it's much more precise. And you don't take the chance with just having some kind of a restrictor plate in there of it picking up left and up at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the game not knowing which direction you're supposed to go, and it just picks for you and you go the wrong direction and die yeah so what it's just an arcade game right but well i'm playing i, I don't want to i don't want the game to screw up and mess me up I, i'm enjoying myself so i put the 61 board in and it worked perfectly cool the problem was the monitor just looked pretty bad yeah and it was getting worse so i thought temporarily maybe i will put a uh, LCD screen in there. 
But what, so how how would you wire an LCD screen up to an analog video signal? Well, with the sixty-in-1 board that I'm using, it has the option to go VGA out or go uh, the right, regular okay. way out for the old arcades. Okay. So I, I just took this LCD up. I pulled out the original monitor. I had to kind of rig it up a little bit so it looks like it's supposed to be there. Uh-huh. And I got basically the same size LCD as the uh, the computer monitor or the uh, arcade monitor, and and it works fine. I mean, a, a quick glance you would not even know the difference. Yeah, here's been my big, and I did this all everything I just described, dude. I did six months ago. Right. I just really haven't talked about it here on the show. Uh-huh. So I've been enjoying these sixty and one games, Pac Man, you know. Super, and Super Pac-Man, by the way, is on the board. <laughs> yeah. So I can play the game with yeah. the cabinet matches. The buttons, I replaced the buttons with, uh, they look the same, except for they have gold leaf switches in them. So they're just really quiet. Instead of yeah. clack, 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 you can just barely hear you, unless you're really smacking it. You really don't hear them very good. So it's been working great for a long time. I have no problem. But whenever I played... Let's say Donkey Kong or Miss Pac-Man on a arcade monitor. It just looked better because those games were designed for the crappier monitor. Yeah. What you'd get on the old ones on the old screens that you don't get when you use an LCD is scan lines. Mm. And it's kind of a small little nitpicky thing, but it's always bugged me. Well, the thing is, is that you you remember seeing those back in the day. You kind of remember how it used to look, and it, it, there is a quality thing as well. If you ever, if you want to see how uh, video has moved on, go download off the internet, like some uh, like a like a show like a an eighties sitcom, an episode of an eighties sitcom, or the first season of Seinfeld, or something like that, and play it on an Apple TV or something on a modern screen, it looks appalling. It's so soft. And the reason is because that's how it was done back then, because the TVs were all terrible. Yeah, at the most, I had 380p or 360p or 240p, and you're upscaling it to 1080 or 720, and it just doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah. So that's been my problem. The thing is, it smooths it all out. Yeah. Um, It actually looks too good. So it's kind of the opposite of of your, for example. Yeah. It it looks too good. There's no scan lines in the characters, and it just always kind of looked artificial to me. Whereas on a glass arcade monitor, it looks more realistic. At least what my memory says this game should look like. And that's what they were designed to look like. You know, when it smooths everything out, you lose some of the shadow effect that's supposed to Mm. be there. Does it affect gameplay? No. No. But I kind of missed it. So, all this leads me to a week ago, a little over a week ago. As I've said before, I'm a member of different groups on Facebook when it comes to these old arcades and classic games and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I posted in one of these boards, um, groups, has anyone used... Or does anybody have a scanline generator, VGA, in and out? Or have you used one? And quite a few people had. A lot of people said, just get a real monitor, dude. Yeah, I know. Shut up. I have one. I'm trying to do this on the cheap. Literally, I picked up this uh, VGA monitor, this flat panel that I'm using in the Super Pac-Man, for like 10 bucks, dude. I mean, it was nothing. So, and, you know, I paid 50 bucks for the arcade cabinet. The only expensive thing in there, if you want to call it expenses, expensive was the 60 and one board, which cost me a hundred bucks a year ago. Mm. So I, literally I, I've got less than 200 bucks in the whole thing so far. But if I could add the graphics to it that I miss cheaply, I will. Well, a guy actually had a, an SLG 3000 scanline generator. And all it is is a little device that sits between the output of your board and the input on your screen. VGA. So you go VGA into this little thing, and it has an on and off switch as well as a little adjuster knob. And then it goes from this box up to your LCD screen. He had one, decided he's not using it, 
it's practically brand new, he said. He goes, actually, it is brand new. I bought it four years ago. I've never used it. I just ended up replacing the screen. So he sold it to me dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. I'll just say less than 10 bucks with shipping. Uh, I got it la- uh, Monday or Saturday. I got it Saturday. Installed it. It literally took me five minutes to install it. And then only that long because I had to pull the arcade out there, pull off the back, and crouch down in there to wire this thing in. And then I put this little box, and that's all. It's just a little acrylic box with a uh, PCB in it in my coin door. So you open my coin door, and there's this little box sitting there. It works perfectly, man. Now, is it 100% what it should look like on a regular CRT screen? No. But it's 95% there. And it makes, at least to me, so much more enjoyable. So at this point, I've got about 200, maybe 220 bucks in my Super Pac-Man arcade machine, 60 games, and they look almost the way they are supposed to look, like it's in the actual arcade. Cool. Is it frivolous? Yeah, of course, but, yeah, you know. What, um, are you uh, planning to get that original monitor out of there? Yeah, I mean, can you send it off to somebody and have it refurbished so it I could. Better, or has it got... I could. Um, I'd rather do it myself. I just don't have the, the space right now. Yeah. Uh, it to, to refurbish it really means um, both the, the PCB and the neck board um, replacing all the chips. Yeah. And, and, and that's the chips itself is going to cost me like 10 bucks. Yeah. It's but it's, work. it's the work. Yeah. And eh, I just, you know, I, for the amount of work and time it's going to take me to fix it. And it, by the way, I will eventually, I still have the monitor. I'm not getting rid yeah. of it. Um, I just don't want to invest that much time and effort when I could just spend 10 bucks on a monitor. Yeah. Use no, no, I, the 16 one board I already had yeah. and, and buy this little scan line generator for next to nothing. And I'm just enjoying yeah, no. the hell out of it. I play dude, compl- every day. Yeah. I play at least one game on that machine every yeah, day. I, I'm completely with you. So, um, when you first started talking about this, I, you, I, I mentioned that maybe I'd look into, you know, doing something like that with the raspberry Pi. Yeah, that I have. Yeah. So, um, but you know, much in the same way that, that you've just said, it's like, who has the time to do all the complicated stuff? You can buy kits that, effectively turn the Raspberry Pi into a little arcade console, kind of like the ones you built. Yep. Um, but you you need to build them yourself. You need to put the Raspberry Pi in there and everything like that. And I just I don't have the time, particularly at the moment when I'm away a week. I just really don't. So what I'm thinking about doing is um, to actually set up the Raspberry Pi to work as a, a like an emulator to run all these different games is really easy. Yeah, it's probably about a night's work to do. Yeah. But the hard part is the physical part is getting the controls in there and everything. But I, I, I started thinking about this and I realized that you can buy, for not very much money, um, kind of PC-compatible USB sticks, arcade sticks with, you know, a proper arcade joystick and eight buttons on, yeah, for, for very, very little. Yep. I thought, so well, why don't I just get one of those kind of... Um, you know, glue the Raspberry Pi to the back of it, to the bottom of it, get all the cables sorted, tidy it up a little bit, and then I'll have, you know, something that's not a million miles away from a an arcade console, but it's, I haven't had to do all the construction and the wiring and all of that sort of thing. So that's one thing about doing. So now I'm on the hunt for a a good PC arcade stick. I don't mind spending a little bit of money. I don't want to spend hundreds of pounds. Um that that can kind of be used for that project. You can get some really really cheap Chinese ones, but apparently the the controls are terrible. Uh, yeah. And if I'm going to do it, I want something that that's you know it's not it's not going to be like a a full arcade board, but uh, I want to get something that at least is halfway decent as opposed to you know terrible. So uh, well, here's something you could do in the meantime until you get to that point. And, yeah, and I know you could do this because I've seen people do it, and I've done it with this little mini PC that I have. Remember the last week I was talking about Julie using that little mini PC as her main computer now? Yeah. Well, I have two of them. The other one was for the other mini arcade build. I just haven't got back to it because, well, honestly, I haven't found the screen that I want to use yet. That's mm-hmm. that's the biggest problem. I mean, other than that, it's ready to go. The mini PC, however, I've got hooked up to my spare uh, 
SyncMaster. It's an old Samsung monitor. Uh-huh. It's a, uh, I think it's a 17 inch monitor. Might be 15, 15 or 17. It's sitting right next to me. Uh, 710N. So I think that denotes 17 inch. Yeah. So I plugged the mini PC into this, uh, keyboard and mouse. I installed all the emulators I want, which I already had all of them, including all the ROMs from my yeah. MAME arcade cabinet. Uh-huh. Uh, installed all of that, but I don't play arcade games on there. I play Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Atari, all the home consoles yeah, up he, until yeah. about the N64. This this yeah. PC struggles with, with the, the N64 games. So anything before yeah. that, and dude, that's thousands of games. I actually have in the mini PC hooked up to this little monitor. And you know what I did? I just grabbed a cheap. This is a, uh, I don't say cheap, inexpensive. Let me put it that way. Less than 50 pounds for you. Steel series USB controller. Mm-hmm. I picked this one up at Best Buy for like 20 bucks uh, a year or two ago. I plugged that in. Uh, I had to go into each emulator to tell it what's up, down, left, right, and the buttons. But once you do that, I, I can literally fire this up. It's always running. I just turn off the monitor because the PC just, it's so small and takes almost no power. If I turn on my monitor right now, it's got Super Bomberman 2 from the uh, Super Nintendo system paused. And, yeah. and it's so much fun just to be able to turn this on, play a couple levels of a game, turn off the screen, pause the game, turn off the screen, set the controller down and come back to it whenever I want to. It's yeah. so much fun. You could do all of that with the Raspberry Pi. And it would oh even yeah, be no, cheaper. absolutely. And RetroPie, which is the, uh, the kind of the emulation emulation build for the Raspberry Pi, has all of those old consoles built in. And uh, there's a, a front end called Emulation Station that lets you kind of select which ones you want. Yep. And yeah, I could. I yeah, I have a kind of a you know a game console controller. I could plug in and do that. But the thing is, I I find it really hard to play old arcade games using that type of controller. That's why I don't play yeah. arcade games. I'm playing the old yeah. console games. Yeah, no, I see. That's what, what I'm saying. You could yeah. you can get halfway there. Yeah. Just concentrate on the console games until you get your arcade stick. Once you get the arcade stick, then you can play the arcade games as well. Mm-hmm. Because you can set different controllers for different emulators. Right. And. uh but when you get your arcade stick, and this is kind of important, you don't. It, it doesn't sound like it, even though I, I talked about this just a few minutes ago. You want to make it so you can switch from four to eight-way joystick, because if you have yeah. an eight-way joystick and you're playing something like Donkey Kong that requires a four-way joystick, it will get confusing for the computer, for the for yeah. the for the game itself, because it, you think you're pushing up, but the left micro switch or the right micro switch is also being pushed. So it doesn't know that, oh, he's going up. It thinks well, it's either up or right. So it yeah. just guesses and it messes you up. Yeah. So make sure you get it so you can switch. Okay. Um, sometimes you literally have to take it apart, put a little restrictor plate on there, and that'll work. That's a pain in the butt. Uh, I've got one that you pull up on the joystick, rotate it to the left or right, push it back down. And it moves the uh, restrictor plate for you, so it's either four way right. or two or uh, eight way, and that works pretty good. But I don't, I, I, you know, it's probably the most expensive thing that I bought, other than the PCBs, and it's my least favorite joystick now. My favorite oh. joystick is the one that's in Miss pa- on the Super Pac Man, an actual leaf switch joystick. It's got a, I don't know, something about it. It just feels right to me. Again, I'm a child of the 80s. Well, I'm, technically, yeah. I'm a child of the 70s. I was born in 70. But growing up playing in, in arcades, that's the kind of joystick feel that I was used to, not the micro-switch joysticks. Yeah. But, hey, when push comes to shove, <laughs> I'm happy with a micro-switch joystick as long as I'm having a good time. Exactly. Yeah, you should definitely do it. I mean... Uh, and now that I know that's what you're looking for, now are you looking for an actual, just a box with the joysticks and buttons on that you can connect to a screen? Uh, to, to yeah, just with a USB uh, controller on it. That's okay. all. I, that's all I really want because I just want to keep it nice and simple. You know, when I have more time, then I will probably go out and buy all the 
controls myself, mount them in a proper board or maybe a table or something like that, and kind of wire it all together. But I just don't have the the time for that now. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking for something like um, you know a Mayflash or something like that. That's uh, you know one of the if you look on eBay for like a USB fighting stick is uh is it tends to be what what they they tend to be referred to uh and you know you you get this thing and it, it kind of looks like somebody's lifted the front of a of an arcade board of an arcade um console yeah. um you know some of them have fancy graphics but there's as i say there's a whole load of really like cheap cheap ones on there the one that i'm kind of tempted by is that um few years ago neo uh, the neo geo was kind of reissued as a, a as a kind of a yeah, I know no. exactly the one you're yeah. talking about. That's and, it, and it came with a stick. Yep. Um, and sometimes I, I see those for sale, and I'm thinking, well, that's probably quite a good one because I would imagine that, that those are fairly well-built compared to a cheap Chinese one. But here's the problem. the It, it wasn't SNK that did those. Um, no. It, it was a third party, and I know that the console that they were also shipping at the same time wasn't very good quality. No, but I, I've not. I've I've done a bit of looking around. I haven't found anybody saying that the stick is bad. I know that they said that the console wasn't great. So um, I don't know if, if anybody's ever experienced one of those. Let me know what you think. You know, you could but, go real cheap and just pick up a, a kind of a, a smaller handheld one initially, and yeah, see if it works for you. I, I could do. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking on eBay and I'm finding them for sixteen dollars. I mean, yeah. But that, as I say, those are going to be really cheap. Those are the really cheap Chinese ones, and uh, yeah, apparently they're pretty. Um, what a lot of people do is they, you know, they buy those and then they basically take half the stuff out and re- redo them. And <laughs> um, the buttons in particular apparently can be bad on those. So yeah, yeah, that's that's not a bad idea actually. Yeah, um, I know that the ones that came that you could have bought for like the PS3 for fighting games. Yeah, uh, for like Soul Calibur and stuff. I know those are pretty good. But again, I know people were replacing uh, the joysticks because the joysticks is always the, sh- the crappy thing. Yeah. But you can replace a joystick with a decent joystick for not much at all. And the buttons, uh, you could get LED buttons for like five bucks each if you wanted. Yeah. But I went with the gold leaf switch buttons, which are really quiet and they don't have a long throw and they're super accurate. And they were four bucks each. Yeah. I mean, just nothing. Actually, the company I buy them from is in the UK. All right. Um, it is... I know people are like, ugh, they're still talking about arcades. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you don't have uh, show notes. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, Ultramark. Uh, U-L-T-I-M-A-R-C dot com. That is kind of my go-to place for my packs, my joysticks, and my buttons. Uh, I, uh, they're a really good company. They're out of the UK. When I order from them, if I order on a Monday, I've got it by a Thursday. Wow. It's really fast shipping, so it'd be even faster for you. Yeah. Um, but that's where I got my buttons. That's where I got my my the one joystick that I told you it's for an eight-way. Yeah. Um, and the prices are really good. I mean, comparatively speaking, they got a really nice four- to eight-way switchable joystick, red or black, uh, 22 bucks. Mm. I mean, that's just dirt cheap. Uh, yeah. I, I take it you're there. I am there now. And in fact, you know, the, most of these, they've got one here. It's just directly into USB. You know, I could... You got my uh, you got my mind spinning now. I need to um, investigate this. Bit you know, more. the thing is, it's so much fun. And if you're into video games and you, and I don't, I'm not talking directly to you at this point, David, if you're into video games, especially the classic ones, you could really get a pretty nice system and really experience those old games again for next to nothing. And if, if you want to see if you're, if the nostalgic aspect isn't strong enough that you want to spend the money up on uh, archive.org, they've got a whole bunch of old, like Atari 2600 games that you could play right in your web browser. Yeah. With your keyboard and mouse or whatever. Or if you plug in a joystick, you can play it with a joystick. Try that for a little bit. See if see if you want to invest a little bit of time and money 
into putting a rig together so you can play these old games again. Well, even if you have no interest in video games, <laughs> but if you're if you're into geek stuff, I guarantee you you have you know somebody in your life, kids or somebody like that, who would love to have you know the ability to play these games. Yep. You know, um, and then, you know the, the whole nostalgia thing is really cool right now. It is, even if uh, you know. So it's uh, it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing to play around with, even if you're not, if it's not particularly your bag. Could you imagine if you've got a, a a friend that's kind of a little bit into video games, and you built them a little like a little mini arcade? Exactly. Yeah, with running a Raspberry Pi for thirty bucks, thirty five yeah. bucks, some buttons, a joystick, a little bit of woodworking, or you can do what I did: take a an iCade and just convert that over. the The most expensive thing is always going to be the screen. Yeah, you know, I was playing. Pac- Pac-Man 256, I, I still play that quite a bit. I know you kind of gave up on it because your score in uh, in the Game Center thing hasn't gone up in a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and by the way, they updated it. So as you start playing each time, it gives you your friend's score. So I'm, right. always, I'm always trying to beat your score. I always do. Don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> I see. I know exactly when I passed your high score. Um, anyways, I... I like that game so much. I wish it was an arcade machine. I wish I can play that with an actual joystick on a bigger screen, like an arcade. I think it would be a, a brilliant game. You know, you know what? I, I mean, I've seen in kind of bowling alleys and stuff here. They have uh, the, the weirdest one I ever saw was Doodle Jump. Yeah, those are huge machines too. <laughs> I know, so it's like but big for a, for a little phone game. I, I looked at it thing that was like eight feet tall. Yeah, it's I'm a fifty-inch screen. <laughs> this is insane um yeah i i'm sure it's only a matter of time before crossy road or something like that gets ported to it um well i was thinking how i could actually do it um (laughs) i haven't got past the point where i would have to use something like an amazon uh fire like the fire stick yeah because you can get that game on the amazon fire Mm. and then yeah, see, the problem is controls. Now, the Amazon Fire TV is what I'm thinking of. Um, you can use USB, or I'm sorry, you can use um, Bluetooth controllers on those. So if yeah. you could set, uh, if you could hack a joystick so it would recognize it, that would work. So all you'd really need to do is to buy a compatible USB controller disassemble it, wire your buttons and your joystick directly into the controller. So leave the controller its guts, if you will, inside the box where the joystick is. Mm. You still have to get a way to, to power it up and change batteries, though. Although, if you, I guess you can just plug it in to a power source and it's always plugged in. But, yeah, that would be kind of a cool way of doing it. That'd be kind so- of neat. Yeah, it sounds like fun. So there we go. We need to think about it. Of course, if it gets, is it? Can you get it on Android? Yes. No, get, just get yourself one of those Chrome boxes. Mount it all inside an arcade cabinet, and you're done. No, but you still have to have the controls. Yeah, but a Chrome a Chrome box is kind of like a piece. It's, it's like a Chrome version of a PC. It has a USB port in the back. You could just then put your arcade controls, run it through and get these um, Arduino starboards that basically take your arcade controls and output USB. Yeah, it's, you? it's called a, a, an iPack. I've got one. Yeah. Hmm. Because I'd really like an oh, actual... Yeah, put arc- a, put a, yeah, put a... Then put a proper coin slot on it. <laughs> yeah. Stick it in your local bowling alley or something like that and just go in and empty it every week. You'll make yeah, a fortune. Make a fortune. <laughs> It'll pay for itself in yeah. three years. <laughs> so with that our uh, fancy pie in the sky stuff Dave and I are going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan again we want to thank our sponsor OWC you can find them at maxsales.com we didn't get any feedback this week so if you want to send us feedback real easy oh to God, do stop talking like, about video games oh my god stop it <laughs> you guys stop um, I think actually we did get something from Brandon but I didn't uh, copy it over to the show notes. Uh, let's see. It is the show at techfanpodcast.com. 
Or you can hit us up on Twitter. Which, what is our uh, Twitter account there, David Cohen? Uh, it's at Tech Fan Podcast. And Facebook is Tech Fan Podcast as well. And make sure you visit our page on the internet. It is techfanpodcast.com. If you go there, you can follow links to subscribe in either YouTube or music or uh, Google Music. So if you're on an Android device, you can subscribe it to the show right through the website. Same thing if you're on iOS. Go to our website, follow the link. It'll open up iTunes. You can subscribe there. And we'd appreciate it if uh, you do leave us a review on either iTunes or Google Music. Uh, it does help, even if it's a bad review. People will still see it and go, oh, this guy is saying such horrible things about the show. I've got to listen just to verify it's this. it, it is that bad. Can it really be that bad? Yeah. You know, there was a... <laughs> There was this guy that got kind of famous uh, back in the early 2000s by going to uh, discussion groups and talking really bad about certain companies uh, or articles that they were reading online. Like, this guy's an idiot. This is the worst thing ever written. Don't waste your time. And it was massively growing traffic to those sites that he was slamming. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, because people would read his comments and go, oh, I got to... I got to go read this myself to see how bad it is, and uh, I, I always thought that's, that was kind that's of brilliant. basically that's the the Donald Trump approach <laughs> to publishing. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of is. Maybe that's where he learned it from. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll be back in a week, and uh, see you then. See you.